Samuel chapter number 30, and we're going to begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 6. Let's stand if we can for the reading of God's Word. If you're so able, please stand. 1 Samuel 30, and let's begin in verse 1. We'll read down through the sixth verse where we'll find the title of our message for tonight. The Bible says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives, and uh, were, uh, let's see, taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and David, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives, and their sons, and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelite and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. Look at here. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The title of the message this evening is this, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we continue to see the refining fire being turned up under David, Lord, you're nearing the end of his preparations of him uh, to take on that uh, kingly role. God, tonight, uh, many folks in this room are in some way or another under the refiner's fire. They're they're, they're dazed, maybe, maybe they're distressed, they're going through a hardship, and it's only by your grace and mercy that you get us through these things. Lord, help us tonight to take much from the message and put it into application. May the message tonight help many. And then, Lord, for those that are here tonight not going through a hardship, may we tuck a sermon like this away and remember uh, the truths here in this chapter for when we are discouraged and when we are Distress. Bless our time now, Lord. Give me clarity of mind, conciseness of speech, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Every one of us go through times when up is down and down is up. Imagine if you were kidnapped, blindfolded, stuffed in a car, driven to the middle of a large forest, uh, large forest, miles and miles of force. You're driven to the middle of it. You've never been here before. You have no idea where you are. They take you out of the back seat blindfolded. They spin you around in circles a bunch of times. And then they take the blindfold off of you and drive off and leave you there alone, all by yourself. Um, you'd, you'd, You'd probably walk around in circles. You'd probably lose your orientation um, many people have died lost in wildernesses. Uh, many people have died in these type of wilderness scenarios. Now, I can remember times in my life where I had lost my moral compass and felt lost. Have you ever been there where life was just so hard on you, you didn't know what was up and down, you didn't know what to do, you just felt lost. How many know what I'm talking about tonight? Um, that's where David is in this chapter. All right, David comes home, and his his house has been burned down. His wives have been kidnapped. 
He doesn't know if they've been kidnapped or killed. He just knows they're gone. The 600 men that follow him, their wives and children have been kidnapped. Their houses have been burned. They've lost everything. David has been on the run as a fugitive for a long time. David is dazed. David is confused. David is distressed. Now, David would be a man that had a heart for God, a man after God's own heart. But God would take David and cut away those things that limited his relationship and his ability to lead God's people. God was allowing David to suffer so that David could become better. Let me say that again. God was allowing David to suffer so that David could become better. Take your Bibles to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1 and verse 7. God allows you and I to go through distasteful times in our lives because He is seeking to skim away the dross of sin and selfishness in order to purify our relationship with Him and our effectiveness to love and lead others. 1 Peter 1, look at verse number 7 with me. 1 Peter 1, verse 7. I'm going to begin reading. The Bible says that the trial of your faith, the trial of your faith, that's the suffering, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory, uh, glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Your faith is going to be tried by fire. Uh, imagine with me, if you will, a large amount of gold uh, is put in a kettle and a fire is turned up under it, a fire that becomes so hot that that gold melts into, or rather, uh, turns into liquid form and then it begins to boil and then all of the impurities come to the top. Imagine that fire being turned up under you. Those are trials that God brings in our life where we're sideways in our thinking. We're not not sure what is going on. God is testing the boundaries of our faith uh, and He's trying to get us uh, to turn and trust Him. He's trying to purify that faith. This is exactly what God does. Uh, Abraham was tested uh, with Isaac. Remember Genesis 22, the taking him up on the mountain, God telling him to kill his son, his only beloved son, Genesis 22.1. And uh, Abraham's faith uh, is being tested. Uh, Joseph was tested when he was sold into slavery. Remember the dream Joseph had, uh, uh, the, the bells of hay bowing down to his bell of hay, the, the, the stars and the moon and the sun bowing down to his star, and now he's being sold into slavery, into into Egypt, his faith is being tested. The trial of his faith, the fire is being turned up. Moses was tested when God ordered him to lead the Israelites out of bondage. Remember the burning bush there in Exodus? The burning bush. And God speaks to Moses through the burning bush and says to him, I want you to go and set my people free. And what does Moses say? Moses says, I can't. I have a speech impediment. And God says, well, then I'll send your brother to help you. And then after that, his brother said nothing and he spoke the whole time. He took it on and he did it. But his faith was being tested. And listen, uh, walking into Egypt, walking right into Pharaoh's palace and saying, uh, the, God, the Jehovah God says, let my people go. Boy, that was a, that was a, 
a bold thing that required much faith. How about Hannah and Sarah and Rebecca? They were all tested when their wombs were left barren for a long period of time. And all of them had to call out by faith and trust God uh, before God would give them a baby. Listen to me this evening. God will stretch us thin emotionally, relationally, financially, spiritually, and socially to show us how weak our faith really is. I have learned after all of the years that I have been saved, after three decades of being saved, I have learned that there's always an area in my life, some area of faith, and God says, you know what, that one's looking a little weak right now. Let me run, uh, let me run Richard through some trials over here, and so I can show him how weak his faith is here, and he can grow in that area. Oh, you know what, he's gotten that one shirt up, but this one over here seems to be lacking. Let me work him through a trial over here to strengthen that faith there, and this is the process of the Christian life. This is the process of the Christian life. I can remember uh, being a Bible college student many, many, many years ago. And I learned a lot in Bible college. I would never want to have to go back through it. Amen? I'm glad those days are over. I remember being a Bible college student. I remember sitting in chapel and uh, pastors would come in and they would say things like, you think you got it tough now? Just wait till you're in church ministry. This ain't nothing. And I remember thinking, if this ain't nothing, I'm going to die in church ministry. Um, I was uh, keeping a schedule that was just inhumane, sleeping four five hours a night some semesters and uh, working church ministry there Saturdays and Sundays and uh, getting very little sleep, doing book reports at 2, 3, 4, 5 a.m. just in order to get them turned in on time. And uh, I remember I bought my I bought a car there, the first stick shift car I ever owned, and a Saturn SL2. It was the car I owned when Angel and I got married. Amen. And um, driving this car around, I learned how to drive stick in Chicago, Illinois. Now that... That takes some faith right there, amen? Not just for me, but all the people around me. Learning to drive stick. And I remember driving down uh, the, uh, the, the Dan Ryan Highway there, Dan Ryan Expressway there in Chicago. It was late, late on a Saturday. And I was just uh, wore out. I was, I was uh, malnourished. I wasn't eating well. I was uh, tired. I was frayed in so many ways my junior year of college. And I remember pulling my car over on the side of the highway on an area where there's a wide median. I just sat there and I wept and I cried like a small child. I didn't even know all of the reasons why I was crying. I collected myself. I got myself back together. I drove to the college. I went out uh, on the uh, pier area over the lake there and I sat there for probably two and a half hours and I just uh, poured out my heart to the Lord and I prayed and I said, God, uh, I, I just can't seem to get this thing figured out. I, I just feel so empty in so many ways. And you know what I have learned? I have learned that while uh, uh, life has thrown harder things at me since I've left Bible college, my schedule was never stretched more thin than I was in college. God was stretching me thin to show me my weaknesses so that He could grow my faith. You may be just like that right now where you're stretched so thin. And uh, listen, things that should be this big, problems that should be this big, are this big. You, you've lost perspective. Uh, you're, you're, you're disoriented. 
Uh, listen, uh, this may be where you find yourself. You say, why would God let me go through this? God is trying to teach you some things. God is trying to grow you. You may be going through a situation with a child or a teenager and your heart is, is hurting because you don't know uh, how all of those things are going to turn out. You may be going through a situation at work uh, where the environment is not what you like. Maybe your boss is being unfair. Uh, maybe there's sin all around you at work and you're having a hard time with that. You may be going through a rough spell with a marriage or you may just be in a funk. You ever been just in a funk? where everyone around you seems okay, and you just walk around with a cloud over the top of your heads everywhere you go. It just seems to be raining only on top of you and your spirit. How many you know what I'm talking about tonight? You ever had that happen to you before? And listen, that may be where you are, and you say, why is this happening? Uh, uh, what can I do about this? This is exactly the spot David finds himself in, and God is going to grow his faith. I propose that discouragement comes from one of three places. One of three places for the Christian. It comes from when God seems to let us down. It comes from when others let us down. It comes from when we let others or God down. When God lets us down, God never lets us down, but we can have that perception. God lets us down. It comes from others letting us down or us letting others down. When discouragement comes your way, in these times, we must learn how to turn to God and encourage ourselves in the Lord. We must learn to identify the hand of God at work in the background of our lives. We must learn to see His fingerprints molding and shaping us through the hardships of life. Let's dive into Isaiah, or rather, 1 Samuel 30. Uh, I see in this passage, personally in my study, I see three key lessons that God is trying to to teach us. I'm sure there's others. These were the three I pulled out. Let's dive right in and see how David's, uh, David encouraged himself in the Lord. All right. Uh, number one, this is a lesson about loss. A lesson about loss. David experiences here in 1 Samuel 30 the culmination of much loss. This loss has been going on in his life for quite a while. He's lost his first wife. He's lost his prestige in the nation. Uh, he's lost any uh, abode to live in. He's lost love for his country. He's lost a lot of things. And now he's moving into... Uh, uh, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Turn to 1 Samuel 27. Let's see letter A. Uh, they lost their way. They lost their way. And the they is David and his men, the 600 men and their families that were following him. They lost their way. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 27. Uh, verse by verse, we finished chapter 26, and we saw how that David said, after he took the spear and the cruise of water and, and showed them to Saul, uh, he said, listen, I have these. I did not kill you. And, and, and uh, uh, let's see. Saul says, David, I will pursue you no more. And he goes home. David is so discouraged at this point, he doesn't feel like he can even live in his own country anymore. Look at verse 1. We pick right up from that story in verse 1 of 27. The Bible says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that, uh, than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me uh, any more at any coast of Israel. So shall I escape 
out of his hand. And David arose and he passed over with the, with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Ma, 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 uh, Maok, uh, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, uh, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelite, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And uh, it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. David seems to be on a seesaw of good and bad decisions um, uh, when it comes to his geographical location. Now, you may remember way, way back in 1 Samuel 19, 20, somewhere in that range, that David escaped from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. Uh, his wife, uh, the king's daughter, helps him out the window. And, and there's, the, there's the, uh, the fake uh, mosaic or the fake idea of, of uh, David being in the bed there. David escapes out the window. He leaves. And where does he run? He runs to the high priest's house. Remember the story? Runs to the high priest and he asks him for the showbread. He asks him for food. He leaves and he goes to Gath. He goes to Gath and while he's at Gath, uh, he gets captured because he had killed Goliath of Gath. He gets captured and he feigns himself mad. Remember this? He starts uh, spitting up on his mouth and acting like he's got rabies and he's, he's scratching at the door and, and they let him go. And, and David, he's not trusting God here. He's trusting himself. And as a result, what happened? Well, Saul ends up killing the high priest and, uh, and, and, and his whole family and, and even those uh, attached to the high priest. There's only one young man that escapes and that's Abiathar, the son of the priest. He escapes to David and, and, and David is, is, is in the wrong place. He's doing the wrong thing because he's trusting in his own wisdom and then God sends a prophet his way. And the prophet says to David, he says, no, you're in the wrong place. You need to get over here. David gets back on the right path. And for the last several chapters, David has been exactly where God wanted him in the wilderness, running from Saul. Uh, he's made every move right. But now David is going to go back to making a poor decision and trusting his own logic. He's so tired. He's lost his way. He's tired of doing it God's way because God's way is wearing him out. And so he throws in the towel and he goes back to Gath and he strikes up a relationship uh, with a Philistian ruler named Achish and the two of them become fast friends. There in Achish, he's giving the city of Ziklag in Philistine, in Gath of Philistine, where he's able to build a brick-and-mortar home. His men are able to build a brick-and-mortar home. And for the first time in over a decade, David is able to have his own house. David is able to have his own white picket fence. David is able to have his own dog run around inside. You get what I'm saying here? You get the picture I'm painting? David's able to breathe without having to constantly look over his shoulder. But David is out of the will of God. David, in my opinion, is not where he's supposed to be. David is back to leaning on his own understanding, and now he's lost his way. You say, well, pastor, what would make you say that? Look at chapter 28 and verse 1. 1 Samuel 28, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. Wait a minute, David. You live in Philistine. The Philistines are going to war against Israel. You're an Israeli what are you going to do? And Achish said unto David, Know that assuredly that thou shalt go with me to battle, thou and thy men. David, I've done you a solid. I gave you a place to live here in Philistine. I gave you a, pla- I gave you a city. 
to dwell in on your own. David, now we're going to war against Israel. David, what are you going to do? I expect you to go to war against your own people. What's David going to do? David's lost his way. Look at verse 2. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. David said, I'm all in going to war against my own people. I'm all in fighting for you. David had lost his way. David was still a man who loved God, but he had completely lost his way. And he was leading 600 men and their families down a really, really dark path. Look at chapter 29. Chapter 29 and verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies uh, to Aphek, and the Israelites pitched by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed on by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed on in the re-reward with Achish. Then said the princes of the Philistines, What are these Hebrews here? And Achish said unto the princes of the Philistines, Is not this David? the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me uh, uh, these days uh, or these years, and I have found no fault in him since he fell unto me into this day. And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with Achish, wroth with him. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he may go again to his place uh, which thou hast appointed him, and let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us. For wherewith shall uh, he reconcile himself unto his master, should it not be with the heads of these men? Uh, is not this David of whom they sang one to another and dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands? David is lined up with the Philistines, ready to go to war against the Israelites. They're being marched by garrisons past the princes of Philistine. And here comes David and his men, and they say, Whoa, ho, 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 hold on, what are you doing here? You're the one that killed Goliath of Gath. You're the one who's killed many of us, and you're now here fighting on our side? And they didn't trust David. And they call Achish over, who's David's uh, superior officer, and they say, what, what's going on here? And he says, listen, David is good. You can trust him. He's on our side now. This is a solid pickup for our team uh, against the Israelites, and we need to make this work. And God, in his providence, said, uh, through this Israeli prince, no. What's going to happen if David gets into uh, war and then decides, what am I doing uh, shooting at, if you will, my own men? And he reconciles with his master, and now we're going to be sandwiched. David on our side, the Israelites here, this is not a good idea. Send David and his men home. Now, throughout the sermon this evening, we will see the hand of God keeping David from doing things that would have potentially and even likely disqualified him from being Israel's next king. Now, in this battle that they're going to fight, Saul is going to die. Saul is going to die. And David could have been put in the position where he would have been on the side that killed Saul. And God steps in and says, David, I'm going to protect you from what would be a disastrous situation. God used a wicked Philistine prince's logic to prevent David from killing his own people in war. It would have been very hard for David to become king if he had killed his own people in war. Now, I'll just make this point and we'll move on here. 
Praise God that when we lose our way uh, through great trauma of life, that God can step in and stop us from doing some things that are terrible. Amen? Amen? Praise God that He steps in and can uh, prevent these things from taking place. This is a lesson about loss. David here has lost his way. Letter B notice that not only did they lose their way, they lost their wives. They lost their wives. Go back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30. David and his men had taken over that small city of Ziklag and made it their home. David led his men to war against the Israelites, uh, the, uh, the uh, Amalekites. While David and his men are away, the Amalekites, they sweep in and they attack the homes and they do great damage. Look at verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 30. The Bible says, and it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten and Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. David and his men are out doing something they, sh- they shouldn't have been doing, something that David's men were probably not even comfortable doing, And when they got home, their wives and their children were gone. When they got home, their possessions, gone. When they got home, their entire city burned to the ground. Someone once said, when it rains, it pours. When it rains, it pours. Things could not have been any worse for David and his men. Now, notice they had lost their homeland. They had lost their patriotism. And now they've lost their wives and their children, their homes, their cattle, and their wealth. You know what I realized when I was studying for this message tonight? This is the story of Job. That's exactly what this is. You understand that, you know, the army of the Amalekites did not put on Facebook that they had just carried them away and not killed them. As far as David and his men knew, they weren't just gone. They were dead and gone. They did not know. They get home. Now, imagine tonight. Okay, Let me try to help you understand how horrible this was. Imagine tonight when you get home, your house is engulfed in flames, never to be recovered. Imagine how devastating that would be. All of your possessions gone. And your wife and kids are with you. But you stand there and your home is burning to the ground. That's what David and his men got, home, got back to. Except not only was their homes burned, their wives, their wives and children gone. This is the story of Job in a lot of ways. At least it felt that way for David and his men in the moment. They lost their way. They lost their wives. Let her see. Notice they lost... Their will. They lost their will. Look at verse number 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives. Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the uh, I always have a hard time with this word. Is it Carmelite or Carmelite? You pick. 
lost his, he lost his two wives. The men here are weeping. They have no more power to weep. They, they cried until there were no more tears to cry. They wept until they were fatigued to the place where they couldn't hardly move. David's wives were gone. David's men who loved him and had supported him through all kinds of hardships, they had lost their wives. Have you ever lost your will to live? Have you ever lost your drive to continue to try at life? Have you ever wanted to just climb in your bed and pull the covers over your head and tell the world to just go away and leave you alone forever? That's where David's men were. Well over a decade, they've been living in caves, wandering in wildernesses, hiding out, looking over their shoulders, relying on spies. They move into Philistia, which they know is wrong, and now their wives and children are gone, and now they've lost all will to do anything else. This story in 1 Samuel 30, this is a lesson about great loss. Notice the second lesson I see in 1 Samuel 30. This is a lesson about leaning. About leaning. Whom or what do you lean on when you are in this place that these men found themselves? Let's look at specifically of the 600 men, let's look at David directly. Notice letter A. Notice David's distress. David's distress. Look back at verse First uh, Samuel 30, look at verse number 6. We're going to look at the beginning of the verse here. It says, And David was greatly distressed. Greatly distressed. Why? Well, we know why. His home had been burned. All those things we just laid out. And if all of that was not bad enough, look at the next phrase. For the people spake of stoning him. Now they want to take David. There's, there's, a, there's a petition beginning to take David to the outskirts of Ziklag, put him in a pit, and just kill him. And just be done with it. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. In our culture today, there is a great deal of emphasis put on mental health. Much more so than ever in my lifetime, and much more so than... in the history I've studied, uh, at least in recent history. Terms like depression, trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD, anxiety, words such as triggers or he's triggered or that triggers me or that pulled a trigger that sent him backwards or her backwards. These terms are thrown around Every single day. These issues are real. And people are truly broken. Hear what I'm about to say. But these issues didn't begin over the last 25 years. These issues have always been around. Anxiety, depression, PTSD, trauma, 
Uh, these issues have been around for as long as there has been Cain stoning and killing his brother Abel and mom and dad having to deal with the traumatic fallout of it. David had been through trauma. David had been through trauma. David had every excuse to claim PTSD. He was a man of war. He had taken life on the battlefield. He had been chased around by a king uh, for, again, well over a decade. He had seen his home burned to the ground. He had had his wife and uh, wives taken. No children. The wives and children of his men taken. David had every right to claim and uh, uh, be properly diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. David knew anxiety. And according to this verse, David knew distress. And in my opinion, I think you read through the book of Psalms, it's pretty clear he understood depression. Verse 6 says that David was greatly distressed. Those are the words in God's Word. Greatly distressed. As if that wasn't bad enough. Now his own men wanted to kill him. In their emotional distress, they wanted to punish David, their leader. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in your Bibles. Hold your place in 1 Samuel. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These issues, my friend, these issues are real. I'm not trying to minimize these issues. I'm not trying to act like they don't exist. I'm not trying to say, man up or or grow up and and get past it and move on. Listen, these issues are real. People do deal with anxiety. They do deal with depression. Uh, They do deal with uh, 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 great hurt and, and emotional disorders. These things are real. But what I'm trying to get at this evening is they are not new. They are not new. Uh, Satan wants you to believe that this has never happened to anyone like it's happened to you. And that is a lie. Satan wants to isolate you so he can squash you. Look at 1 Corinthians 10 and look at verse 13. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken. You look here. But such as is common to man. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. These things are common to man, but God is faithful. Look here. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now this verse is often looked at in terms of pride or lust, but we don't look at this in terms of emotional struggle, emotional disorder, uh, emotional hardships. Uh, Listen, these things are common to man. God is faithful. He will provide you a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. David's distress, letter B, we see David's decision. David's decision. Look back at verse number 6. What did David do in his time of trauma? What did David do in his time of post-traumatic stress disorder? What did David do in his time of anxiety and depression? David made a decision. Look at verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son and for his daughters. Look here. Uh, Let's read the rest of the verse out loud together. Can we do that? Here we go. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He said, I am not going to sit here and sulk in my sorrows. Not going to do it. I am not going to sit here and continue to focus on me and have a pity party for me. I am going to focus on the goodness of God. Look at verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David 
inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Recover all. David did not just sit there and, and let his life fall apart. David did not sit there and crumble. No, David said, uh, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. I'm going to pray and talk to the Lord. I'm going to take action. Uh, in this time of great distress, did David quit? No, he did not. Did David pull the covers over his head and push out the world? No, he did not. Did David find a shrink to help mask his pain? No, he did not. Many people turn to a coping mechanism to get them through emotional and social distresses. They'll turn to alcohol or the bar scene. They'll turn to cigarettes or marijuana. Uh, they'll turn to entertainment. Uh, they'll turn to antidepressants, many of which just simply mask the problem instead of uh, addressing the real issue. They turn to night outs or weekend away with Friends, they'll turn to, again, music and entertainment. The list can go on forever. We're turning to coping mechanisms to divert, uh, as a diversion, to get us away from the focus on the real problem while the real problem sits in our heart, while the real hurt lives in our heart. And instead of dealing with it, we mask it and we cover it. And what I want to say to you tonight is that God wants to be your coping mechanism during these times. God wants you to turn to Him. God wants you to encourage yourself in the Lord your God. He wants to be your coping mechanism. Listen, if you took as much time and put as much faith uh, in God and in prayer as you did any of these other things, what you would find is great help and great hope and a, a belief that there is a great peace that can take over your heart. When David was greatly distressed, what did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. This is a pattern, by the way, we see all throughout David's life. Turn over to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3. David, in his time of great distress, David, in his time of great loss, David, in a time where his home is sitting in rubble and ashes and the fire is still smoldering, uh, David, in a time of, uh, of great uh, loss where he's lost his way, he's lost his wives, he's lost his will, what does he do? He turns to the Lord. He leans on the Lord his God. Listen up. Before we read Psalm 3, I want to say this. When we go through hardships, all of us lean on something or someone. All of us. You're either leaning on God, or you're leaning on family, or you're leaning on uh, 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 some sort of uh, self-medicating drugs, such as alcohol or, again, marijuana. You may be leaning on diversions of entertainment and friends. You may be leaning on the medical system. Uh, but everyone is leaning on something. Now, listen. There's nothing wrong with leaning on God and godly friends. There's nothing wrong with leaning on God and using the medical system. But God needs to be the very, very first person you lean on. He needs to be the one you turn to first. Look at Psalm 3. Look at the heading under Psalm 3. It says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. We know the story, right? Absalom has come in. He's caused a mutiny. He's overthrown David's, or he's, in, he's attempting to overthrow David's kingdom. He's run David out of town and taken over his palace. David is fleeing Jerusalem when this is written. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? 
Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord. Notice the leaning. Notice where he leans. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory. Look here, I love this phrase. And the lifter of my head. The lifter up of mine head. He says, I, I, I want to hang my head low in great distress. And it is the Lord who puts His index finger underneath my chin and lifts up mine head. Look here. Look back there. He continues on in verse 4. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. There's the leaning. And He heard me out of His holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awake. For the Lord sustained me. I'm leaning on the Lord. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For Thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Look at verse 8. Salvation belongs unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon Thy people. Selah. David, in his time of great distress, made a great decision. He decided to lean on the Lord instead of leaning on anything or anyone else. Letter C, letter C. We've seen David's distress. We've seen David's decision. Now letter C, let's see God's design. God's design. Look at verse number 11. And we're going to see how God had orchestrated this entire thing from the get-go. Listen, God's hand at work in the background brought David down in the valley and is now going to carry him on to the mountaintop. Look at verse 11. And they found an Egyptian in the field. So now they're in pursuit. They're in pursuit of the Amalekites, or Amalekites who've overthrown uh, their city and taken their wives and children. They're in hot pursuit of the army. Verse 11. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread. And he did eat. And they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread, nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an, uh, an Amalekite, and my master left me, because three days, uh, uh, three days agone I fell sick. Alright, hold on here. Who do you think allowed the Egyptian to get sick? God did. God is, <laughs> you can see, I, I just want you to see God saying at work. Through this whole passage, alright? They're pursuing, they had no idea where the Amalekites went. They happen upon a guy who's dying in a field. He's an Egyptian. He's an Egyptian slave. They bring him to David. They give him food. His spirit comes back in him. And he says, I got sick three days ago. And they just discarded me here in this field to die. Alright. Look at, look with me at verse 14. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb. And we burned a Ziklag with fire. David's like, no, duh, I live there, I know. Verse 15, and David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me in the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to the company. And when he had brought him down, behold, here are the Amalekites, they were spread abroad upon all the earth eating and drinking and dancing they're partying because upon all the uh, because of all the great spoil they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah and David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day and there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled and David recovered David recovered all that the uh, Amalekites had carried away and David rescued 
his two wives. Look at verse 19. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, neither any, nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Wow. Look here. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. Here God has now taken this, this, this trial and He's turned it into a triumph. He's taken misery and He's turned it into a miracle. His wives taken. Uh, the wives of His men taken. Children missing and gone. Uh, homes burnt. Possessions uh, 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 misplaced and gone. David pursues. David overtakes. David not only recovers all of his stuff, but David also recovers all of the other things the Amalekites had taken in battle. David has gone from this level of wealth to this level of wealth, all because God allowed this hardship. What is this teaching us? This is teaching us that when you're going through a trial, God oftentimes is orchestrating the trial because He's trying to teach you something great. God is trying to bless you through that trial. The question is this. When those hardships come, are you going to miss out on the blessing because you rejected God's plan and God's design? Sometimes I think we get so focused on the misery of our situation, we lose perspective to see the God who's trying to use the misery to do great things in our life. Oh, I have this going on, and I have that going on, and this isn't fair, and that's not fair. And God, why, why are you doing this to me? And why are you doing that to me? And we turn to this, and we turn to that. And God says, put your eyes on me. Encourage yourself in the Lord. All of this is by design. I have a plan. I need you to trust my plan. I look at 1 Samuel 30 and I see three great lessons here. I see that this is a lesson about loss. I see this is a lesson about leaning. Number three, lastly, notice this is a lesson about leadership. This is a lesson about leadership. David here, uh, he leads through some very difficult circumstances. He has 600 men looking to him, and they're even talking about killing him. Uh, but David leads through this hardship. Letter A, notice the word resolved. Resolved. If God has called you to a position of leadership, you are certain to hit choppy waters at some point along the way. Those under your watch care need to know that you are resolved to do what is right and act in the face of trouble. Look at 1 Samuel 30 and look at verse number 9. 1 Samuel 30 and look at verse number 9. Instead of reading the entire verses, there's something in particular. There's a pattern of behavior here I want you to know. So look at verse 9. Read those first three words with me. Ready? Here we go. So David went. Look down at verse 10. First three words. Ready? Here we go. But David pursued. Look down at verse 13. Verse 13. First three words. Ready? Here we go. And David said. Verse 15. Same three words. Read them with me. Ready? And David said. David went. David pursued. David said. David said. Hey, listen. David was a man who acted in times of hardship. Leaders do not sit uh, on the sideline and let life happen to them. They get up and they do and they lead the way. You can continue to read down in verse 17 and 18 and see how David not only uh, uh, pursued, David overcame. 
David won. Why? Because David was resolved that at the end, at the end of the day, we're not going uh, to sit around and we're not going to mope and we're not going to sulk and we're not going to whine and we're not going to complain. We're going to stand up. We're going to lead. We're going to do and we're going to be resolved until God sees us through. That's what leaders do. You're here today and you're a man and you're a husband. Don't sit on the sideline and let everyone else push you around. You stand up and you lead. Uh, you have a position at work and you get into hardships at work. Don't sit around and mope and whine and complain because the quarterly numbers aren't where you want them. Get up and work and lead. Uh, you're here today and, and, and you have a position in the church and things aren't working the way you want them to. Be resolved. Stand up and lead. We need men and women of God who are leaders, who are resolved that I will do what's right no matter the cost. David's attitude was, I will overcome or I will die trying. Letter A, resolved. Letter B, notice, righteous. Righteous. We need leaders who are righteous. about to preach myself out of a voice here tonight. Look at verse Samuel chapter 30 and look at verse number 10. The Bible says, But David pursued he and 400 men, look here, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. Now, David has 600 men. And by the way, um, all 600 of these men are valiant men. They're mighty men of David because they've left Israeli army behind and they have avowed allegiance to David and they're willing to die for David. But they've gone to fight with the Philistines and uh, they made the long trip back to Ziklag and they got there and saw the city burn. And so they're physically empty and now they're emotionally empty as they've seen all of these things gone. And now, uh, right on the heels of that, they pick up their arm, armament and they head toward a hot pursuit and 200 men are so weary, they're on the verge of fainting or passing out. And so when they get to the brook Bezor and it's time to pull up uh, their, uh, their, their, uh, their, uh, their skirt, if you will, pull up their pant and walk over uh, the, the, the brook, they say, we don't have the strength to cross the brook. We're going to stay right here. So 200 men stay behind. And David and the other 400 men, they go and they overthrow the Amalekites. Now, uh, they've overthrown the Amalekites. They've gotten back uh, the spoil. And now they're heading back to the 200 men. Look down at verse 21. Look down at verse 21. The Bible says, And David came to the, to the 200 men which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bezor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, men of foolishness, of those that went with David and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered. Save to every man his wife and his children that they may lead them away and depart. Here, here your wife and kids, you, you, you failed the mission Uh, hit the road, get lost. That was their attitude. Then said David, here's leadership, verse 23, ye shall not do so, my brethren. With that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. Unto this day. 
Thank you. I have one. I've just not been drinking it. But thank you very much. All right. Uh, to this day. Uh, so here David says to these guys, uh, you've got 400 men who've gone and fought the battle. 200 men that stayed by the stuff. The 400 men return. And they look at the 200 guys sitting by the brook and they say, you bunch of sorry wimps. You bunch of sorry good-for-nothings. You're so weak that you couldn't even go to battle. You're so weak, we had to recover your wives and kids because you couldn't do it. You know what? Here's your wife and kids. Get lost. And David said, no, that is not right. These men watched the stuff. These men were too weary to continue on. We're going to divide evenly the spoil, not between 400 of us, but 600 of us. All men get their part. And the Bible says that this set the precedent forward for Israel for the rest of their history. That this would be the pattern. Why? Because David is not making decisions based on the, the passion of the moment. David is not making decisions based on uh, what, uh, what, what seems to be the emotional decision. No, David is making decisions based on what is right and what is wrong. We see uh, this is a lesson about leadership. Uh, we see uh, re- resolved, righteous, now let her see, and lastly notice, restorative, restorative. Look down at verse number 26. Before we read the passage, let me just say here, David did not have a good name in Israel. Uh, Saul had worked hard to smear his name, right? I don't know that they had a news media in David's day. Maybe they had some form of newspapers or that sort of thing. I don't know the culture well enough to know that. But can I say this? If they had one, Saul had worked hard to use the national media to smear the name of David across all of Israel. If you could have taken a popularity poll... David's numbers would have been well below where the president's numbers are today. Well below. Listen, David had, it was so bad, David had left the country, as we talked about earlier in the sermon, and that he was ready to kill his own countrymen. What do real leaders do when they have folks who have made themselves the enemy? Real leaders overcome the emotion of that moment, and they work to restore. Look at what David does with the extra spoil that God gives him. We talked about the leaning and all that being God's design. God is giving David the financial means to make peace with his countrymen. Look at verse 26. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To them which were in Bethel, and to them which were in South Ramoth, and to them which were in Jatir, and to them which were in Arawer, and to them which were in Sifmoth, and to them which were in uh, Eshtemoah, and to them which were in Rakal, and to them which were in the cities of the uh, Jeshmeelites, and to them which were in the cities of the Kenites, and to them which were in Horma, and to them which were in Chorashan, and to them which were in Athach, and to them which were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were wont to haunt. And all the places where David was not popular, David sent a gift to each of these people and began the process of restoration. He had done nothing wrong to them. They had wronged him. Yet he has enough emotional strength 
to begin to restore those relationships. Why was that important? Because God was going to use him in just a handful of years to be their king. To be their king. Let me just finish with this. On this point, let me just finish with this and I'll make some uh, concluding uh, comments. Leaders do not react to someone's mistreatment of them. You listen tonight? When someone mistreats a leader, a leader does not retaliate based on that mistreatment. A leader absorbs and loves that person anyway. They absorb and love that person anyway. Listen up here. You men, when your wives get nasty with you, absorb and love her anyway. Absorb and love her anyway. Hey, you're at work and you have an employee that has a bad day and, and acts in a certain way that you don't like, absorb and respect them and treat them right anyway. Your neighbor is nasty with you, absorb and treat them right anyway. Real leaders do not retaliate, they do not react, they absorb and they seek to restore the relationship. That's godly leadership. This is a lesson about leadership. This is a lesson about who you lean on. This is a lesson about great loss. And I don't know what in here God needs to use in your heart today, but let me just say this. When the storm is raging on in your life, don't turn to anyone but God first. You turn to God and you learn how to encourage yourself. In the Lord your God. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. How many here tonight would say, Pastor Lejeune, I may not be going through quite the dilemma that David was going through, but I'm going through a storm that to me is a hard storm. I'm going through a storm that to me has just consumed my being. Pastor Lejeune, I need to learn to lean on God through this storm. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to learn to lean on God through this hardship. God knows what it is. And my friend, God's trying to use this. He's designing this in your life to perfect you. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us not to lean on anyone but you through the hardships. Rather, not to lean on anyone first but you through the hardships. And Lord, when our lives have completely fallen apart, may we learn how to encourage ourselves in the Lord our God. May you reign supreme. Lord, take all of the things that have been said tonight. Each one would uh, apply differently. Holy Spirit of God, you make the applications. You bring the conviction in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet.